we're in a series called The Big Bible Stories. Uh, would you say that with me? Big Bible Stories. That's right. And, uh, and so last week we were talking about the greatest of all the Bible stories, and that was that Jesus came and he didn't just die, but he resurrected. And so we've been looking at some of the Old Testament Bible stories, and today will be the same. In fact, uh, today uh, we'll be looking at the bi- big Bible story uh, of uh, Joshua and Jericho. Come on, can you give me a hand for that? Joshua and Jericho. And some of you guys, you know, you did vacation Bible school as kids, and you know the song, Joshua built the, fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling. Woo, look at y'all. Y'all got it going on. So as a kid, um, I went from like second or third grade from one school uh, where we lived in, um, in the hood, and then we moved in with my grandmother into this other community, and, um, and so I made a switch in schools in third grade. And as you can tell, my personality is one of that, uh, even since I was a kid, that I dominate the situation that I'm in. I, God just made me that way. I think that somehow, you know, I, I'm, I'm the leader of every situation I'm standing in. And, and so as I changed schools, you know, there was already a pecking order established, but I was determined that I was going to be at the top of that pecking order. And so as I came in, there were two big dudes in third grade who were kind of the, they were the leaders of the school, especially of the third grade. And uh, they were having troubles with the fact that uh, I was becoming uh, very popular my first couple of days there. And uh, and so they said something to me at lunch about it and that who, they was the ones in charge. And I told them, no, I was going to be the one in charge. Everybody's going to be doing what I said at the playground. And so one particular day, a couple of days into this new third grade experience, I'm on the, uh, playing kickball with my class at PE. And all of a sudden, a rock hits me in the back of the head. Splits my head open, blood's coming down. And you got to understand, I haven't always been a Christian and uh, surely haven't always been full of the Spirit of the Lord. It's hard enough to stay right these days with God in my life, much less before I had Jesus in my life. And so when they hit me, I turned around. Those two boys were standing at a distance, and I guess, you know, uh, they, they have great aim. I, they should have went and played professional baseball afterwards because they hit me from about 40 yards out with this rock. And this thing rose up inside of me, and I began chasing them. And these two big boys were much bigger than me, but the anger that was existing exuding from me, I guess scared them, and they took off running back to class, because they were supposed to be going to the bathroom, and, uh, and they had walked out on the field to hit me, and, uh, and then took off running, so I chased them back into the classroom, teacher is teaching, they go run, sit down at their desk, I throw open the door, come over the top of their desk, and just start cracking their heads, I mean, right there, little bitty guys I was, and uh, teacher grabs me, they bring me to the office, blah, 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 when I, and the whole time, you know, again, I wasn't a Christian, so I'm cussing them, tell them, wait till after school, well, they obviously forgot about that, and they were walking walking home from school together, and as they walked past me, I was hiding behind some bushes, and the biggest one of the two, as he, as he walked past me, I clucked him in the back of the head with a stick, knocked him on the ground, then tackled the littler one, and just started pounding on him, and I would just like to add to that whole storyline that everything changed from that moment forward, and I became uh, the head of the promised land that was my promised land of the third grade at Bakersfield Elementary. So as we move into Joshua's story, and Joshua chapter 2 and verse 24, our goal, that's our key scripture, but our goal with today's teaching is to help you and I understand that there are still enemies in our promised land, and you and I have to fight the bullies and take them down so that we cannot just go into our promised land, but that's so that we can possess our promised land. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 24, our key scripture for today's message, and says, and they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and be in your presence together. We ask you now in Jesus' name that you would give revelation and understanding through this passage of Scripture to our life. Lord, we want it to be personalized to us, that we can understand how we're going to deal with that thing at work, that thing that's going on in our family, that situation that, that, that seems to be so daunting and looming. And I pray in Jesus' name that every man and woman in this room will leave this place today tool to not just go into the promised land, but to possess it and take down every enemy that stands in their way. We call these things as so in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. So let me give you a little bit background on this storyline. So maybe you saw the VeggieTales version of, you know, uh, Joshua and Jericho or whatever it's called uh, in VeggieTales. Or maybe you saw the, uh, you know, uh, you know a, a cartoon movie of it back in the day or something like that. And we'll go into that passage. But I got to give you the backstory of where this is at in history. So we start with Abraham. Now, Abraham... Uh, Abraham was identified by the Lord as one of the only of all the peoples of the earth who really loved him. And so God came to Abraham and spoke to him. And he said, Abraham, I want to be your God and I want you to be my son. And from you, he made him two promises in Genesis chapter 15. He made him two promises. Number one, he said, I promise you to multiply you and your, and your children, your children's children, your great, 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 great grandchildren into a mighty nation. Your people will be a mighty nation. You won't just be a part of a group, but you will be the head of a mighty nation. Now, that you will be the, you will be the uh, father of a, of a modern, and it uses terms like your See, talking about your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, will be one nation, a big, great, mighty nation, and many nations will come from you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think very often about, let's take Japan for a second, I don't know who the founder of Japan is, I don't know who the first Japanese man was. I mean, when I think about Japanese culture, and I think about, you know, the land that they're from, and uh, so forth, they have a culture, but that all came from somebody. There was somebody who's the daddy of Japan. He's Daddy Japan. There's somebody who's the daddy of Korea. I mean, there's somebody, I mean, here in the United States, we all from, we 31 flavors, man. We're from everywhere. So, 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 but, but for these other cultures, there's someone that's the starting point. That's who Abraham is for the Jews. He is the father. There was no such thing before him. He's the one who God picked and said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And so he made two covenant promises to him. Number one, that I will multiply you into a great nation. And number two, that I'm going to give you a land, the land of Canaan. It'll be your promised land. Your people will dwell there. It will be your land. It'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, you've heard me say this before. I don't know what's significant about milk and honey. It doesn't seem that much of a blessing to me. If he just said flowing with gold and silver, I'd be like, that's my place right there. But whatever milk and honey is, I guess it was good. But what it meant was it was going to be a good land, a fertile land, a a beautiful, safe, wonderful place to live. And that was going to be their land. That's why they're still fighting over that land today because of a promise some thousands of years ago. And so what happens is Abraham, then as some of you know, did was not able to have kids. Late in his life, trusting God, God gives him a child when he's almost 100 years old named Isaac. Now, Isaac now becomes, if you will, the carrier of this promise. Isaac is now going to be the carrier that there are going to be many nations come. They're going to be God's people, and they're going to be the servants of the living God. When all the other peoples of the earth are getting into whatever they worship, all these fake false gods, but these people, God says, I'm going to have a personal relationship with you because no one else seems to want to serve me, but I will start with one man, and I will birth a nation through you all your sons and daughters will be mine and belong to me and that's where we get the Torah from because he gave them the law he gave them his expectations of how they would live and how he would fall, how he would um, love them as they followed him he gave them all these expectations that's a lot about what the law the Old Testament is all about 
And so then Isaac, obviously he gets married, and he has children. And he, Isaac, uh, his, his wife gives birth to two sons. They're twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's name, uh, literally, it, it means to take hold of. Because as Esau is coming out as the first child, Jacob is holding on to his heel as, 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 uh, from the womb and holding on to him. And his whole life is marked by this attitude that I've got to work for myself. I've got to take for myself. I've got to take a hold of life because... Because no one's going to give you anything. And you've got to fight for what's yours. And that is his whole attitude. Well, in the process, now, Jacob and Esau are now the carriers of God's promise. They have, and, uh, they have been marked with, um, with uh, circumcision to say that they belong to God. And, and so there's this whole interaction with the Lord. And so God interacts with Jacob in one of these cool events where Jacob is literally running from God and not interacting with God properly. And so God comes down to him. Literally, it says the Lord wrestled with him through the night. So much so that Jacob recognized that it was the Lord and he wouldn't let go of him. And so the Lord touched his hip and made him be able to where he couldn't hardly even move on that hip to where he walked with a limp from that point forward. And he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And it was from that and that realization that I need God more than I need my own strength. And in that moment, God says, okay, now you get it. And he changed his name in that moment. He said, no longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. Anybody know where we get the Israelis from? That man right there. And you will now be called Israel. And you, so Jacob will be called Israel. So Jacob then, of course, gets, has kids and so forth, and he has 12 sons. And one of his sons is Joseph. Some of you remember we taught on Joseph a few months back, and Joseph ends up being thrown, excuse me, sold into slavery by his own brothers because they hated him because of his prophetic utterances to them. And, uh, and so they sold him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt. Now, Egypt then, uh, he has these, these visions, and before you know it, at the end of all of these crazy circumstances, Joseph ends up, it's kind of like vice president of Egypt, a famine hits the entire land. God uses Joseph to save all the people in the surrounding area because they've been st- saving up food for seven years. So when the famine hits for seven years, they have food in Egypt. So Guess what happens? His other 11 brothers come to find food. They interact with Joseph. It's all restored. Joseph moves Jacob and all the brothers to Egypt. That's how Israel got in Egypt. And then what happened was God began to bless these 12 brothers. They began to, they began to have wives and have babies, and they multiply like rabbits. I mean, they got more of them before you know what they're doing with That Egypt then realizes that these people are going to take us over, so they enslaved them. And for 400 years, the Israelis, if you will, which are what? The descendants of Israel, which is Jacob. Are you with me now? They are the Jews. They become enslaved by the Egyptians because the Egyptians got enough sense to know they're, they're growing. They're going to be bigger than us. They'll be able to conquer us unless we enslave them. And they enslaved them for 400 years until Moses comes along. And God sends a deliverer, another Hebrew boy, and Moses comes along. And you guys saw the Prince of Egypt. It was a great Disney show. I hope you liked it. And then from back in the day. And Moses literally... God uses him to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And they leave Egypt with more money than they ever could think of because they took everybody's gold and silver and and, and jewels and stuff. And they go out in the wilderness and they are so rebellious. They still have such Egyptian mentality because for 400 years they have literally forgotten their God, Jehovah. And they have worshipped the idols of Egypt and and all the magic arts and all the demonic forces. And so God puts them out in the wilderness for 40 years to work Egypt out of them. 
till they become his people again. In fact, everyone who was older, who could not change, they died off. And God took everyone under 20. And once that 40 years had come to an end, now they're ready to go into their promised land. They're ready to go into their promised land. It was prophesied to him 600 years earlier. And now, after six, almost 600 years, they're able to go into their promised land. Listen, some of you can't even go 60 days with patience waiting on your promised land. And they had to wait 600 years. Friend, you need to get a little bit of patience in your life. Because God's doing something. He's just probably working some stuff out of you and me. And once we're ready for it, then he can take us into what he has for us. And this land has been promised to him. But guess what's happened over the last 600 years? People have established themselves. They've got cities there. They've got kings. They've got armies in their promised land, in their Canaan. Friend, just because you got saved, just because you love the Lord, just because you've been a Christian for 40 years, doesn't mean there's not enemies in your camp that you need to go and you need to run out, route out. Yes, it's your promise. Yes, God said that he would bless you, that he would bring peace to you and joy to you. But friend, there's some things that you're going to have to fight so that you can knock down some walls, so you can kill off some enemies, so that you can possess your promised land. Today's message is how you and I can fight off those enemies the way they did it, what we see them doing, and we can possess our promised land. But you and I must come to an understanding with the living God that just because you got saved doesn't mean your marriage is going to be better. You're going to have to fight some things like that selfish ambition that's still inside of you. You're going to have to fight some things and conquer some things, kind of like that pride and egotism that we all grew up in, because while we were away, that thing settled inside of us and became a Campment with giant walls around it. And so as they come at the end of their 40 years, Moses has been leading them, but he has now gotten himself in trouble with the Lord. And the Lord says, you're not leading them into the promised land. I'm going to use Joshua to do it instead because you did not do what I told you to do. And as a result, Joshua, Moses died. Joshua, the mantle or the anointing comes on him, and he's going to lead the people of Israel into their promised land. And the first city that they're going to fight and move those people out of what God had promised them 600 years earlier is the group called Jericho or the city of Jericho. Now Jericho has these giant walls. That's what's made them a fortified city in the ancient world. It was, it was significant what they were able to build. The walls are so thick that they got homes in the walls. So they're not like a normal wall like we would build. But the walls are so thick that they literally have people living in them. In their homes. And so we're going to look at kind of what transpired as they go to get rid of their enemy so that they can possess their land. So if you'll start with me here for just a moment, we'll talk about how they begin to conquer uh, Jericho. The first thing that we see them do in Joshua chapter 2 was they sent spies into, they sent spies into Jericho to see, because now listen, they've been 40 years out in the wilderness. They, they ain't fought nobody. They, they don't have any professional soldiers yet. They try, but they, I mean, who they practice against? Their sister? I mean, so they don't really have this whole big thing happening where they're professional uh, warriors yet. They want to be, and they're trying to get there, but this is going to be their first battle, and they're pretty scared, so they sent spies into Jericho, and we'll pick up in chapter 2, verse 1, and this is our key verse again, uh, excuse me, verse 1, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, our key scripture said when they came back to him, they reported that they are scared to death of us. Can I explain something to you? If you'll start looking into it, the thing that you're scared of, really, it's scared of you. You don't understand. Satan is just a roaring lion. 
He's just going around. He's, a t- he's already been defeated. Jesus has put him under his feet. Everything that you're scared of, everything that you're fearful of, that addiction that you think you can't beat, look, that thing's scared of you. That, 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 that prideful thing that you keep seeing to have come up in your life, it's scared of you. Friend, let me tell you something. You need to hear what God is saying over it, not what everybody else is saying over it. There's an answer for you, but you've got to go spy it out. So from there, we see that they, they said, okay, we can do it. Let's do it. But here's the problem. There's something in their way. They can't just walk up to the side of Jericho. There is a river between them and Jericho, and it's at flood season. Now, now, it doesn't matter if it's a small river. I mean, we can argue the size of it all day long. It doesn't matter. The, the scholars estimate that there's somewhere between half a million and two million Israelis at this moment. It, it, let's just put it at a million and cut it kind of in half on the low end. Um, let's say there's a million of them. Can, can, I, want you to, I want you to answer me something. I want you to picture you on vacation... The, the, the taxi has broke down, you got your luggage and your three kids and you got to cross a river. And there's a million of you. I don't, care, I, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, that's a mess to be had right there. Much less be, you're moving your entire household. They got their whole household, and they got to get across a river with a million people. And, and you know, you know, listen, you know mama can't swim anyway, and not only that, but your kid's a knothead. He's going to end up down the river because he ain't listening. And so there is no way to traverse this in the natural. They've got something's got to happen. And let's pick up right there in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Joshua. And it says, and so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of them. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away and at a town called Adam. Ooh, I like that town. In the vicinity of Sarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabath, which is the, uh, which is the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. They crossed over, it says later, on dry ground. So here's the picture. They get the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was this gold box that the priests had to carry. They had these little handles on either side of the box. And they had um, inside of that box was Aaron's rod and some other pieces down in that box. But literally, this was... The mobile presence of God. It was his Winnebago. It was, it was his place that literally, now God didn't need to be boxed in. He's not like a genie in the lamp. But God, what he did for their, mental, their human mentality, he said, listen, as long as you've got this box here with you, I literally will be a representation to you because they've only seen idols. They can't really picture a God that they can't see. And so literally his presence is, is, is attached to this gold box or the Ark of the Covenant. Much more significant than that, but it's the best I could break it down for simple understanding. And so the priests had to carry it. They couldn't put it on a cart. They had to carry it a certain way. They had to certain regulations on how to walk with this thing and carry this thing. And literally, as the Bible says, they decide they're going to cross the ark, because, uh, cross the river, because the Lord had said, I will go before you. And the moment that their feet touched the edge of the water, <gasps> it says it piled up. It stopped flowing miles down the road and backed up way down there. And the last bit of water drained out at the Dead Sea and there was nothing there. And they crossed on dry ground. Said, mm, I have a hard time believing that. Friend, you're in church. You should believe in miracles. Think about you three, four, five years ago now. Come on. You are a living miracle too. If you can't believe in, in, in the, in the uh, water being divided, how you can believe you here in church? It's a miracle. God's done miracles in your life and my life. All of a sudden that thing stops and they cross on dry ground. And again, guesstimating, a million people cross on the other side. They get to the other side. They've just seen the craziest, coolest miracle they've seen in a long time. 
Some of these kids have never seen it. They were born out in the, out in the wilderness, you know, because mamas and daddies started making babies while they, were on, while they were 40 years of traveling. And man, listen, all these kids have been born. And now all of a sudden they're looking at this great miracle. It blew their mind. They'd heard stories of this kind of stuff, but they'd never seen it for themselves. And now they saw one of the greatest miracles ever. Can you imagine? They're walking across that thing like, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe this. Look at that. Right. Ooh, look at that gold coin right there. Yes, sir. I mean, they're just picking up, you know, buzz, uh, old ships. No, I don't know. Anyway, it's just a river. And so they get across on the other side, and they cannot believe what God has done. And God speaks to them again. And he says, listen, I'm going to do this supernatural thing like I told you I was going to do. I'm going to go before you. You're not even going to have to fight it. But here's what I need you to do. I need a fresh commitment from you. Because you have grown up out in the wilderness, away from me, outside of dedication to me. And you've not circumcised your kids, which was the covenant promise that me and Abraham had. And you've not, you've not done the, uh, you haven't kept the Passover. And so here and now, I want you to do that right now. And so we'll pick up right there in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 8. And the whole nation had been, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there and were in camp until they were healed. Yeah, they weren't going in no battle for a couple days. And so they got circumcised, and they're like, hey, how about we just hang out right here for a little bit? So while they're hanging out, verse 10 says, and on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Now, to understand what the Passover was, when they were coming out of Egypt, the last big plague, God said, since Pharaoh won't let go of my people, I'm going to kill every one of the firstborn in Egypt. Firstborn deer, firstborn cows, firstborn sons. I'm going to kill them all. Anybody's firstborn because I'm trying to explain to you I am God and you are not. And so you're going to see the death angel come from house to house and kill people. He said, but every one of you Israelis who love me and I'm your God... Take a lamb, slaughter, take its blood, and put it over your doorpost. And when the death angel comes, he'll pass over your home and not kill your children. Not kill the firstborn. And that's where we get the, uh, the understanding that Jesus didn't die on a cross. And when God the Father looks at us and all of our sin, he passes right over because he sees the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of our life. And that's why some of you kind of creep uh, new Christians out when you start saying, I'm just covered in the blood. I'm just covered in the blood. You've got to understand, they saw the shining and poltergeist and Chucky and all that. You're creeping them out when you talk about covered in the blood. But for you new Christians, that's what they're talking about, all right? That's right. That the blood on the doorpost was that when the angel passed over. And then they had a Passover meal that they celebrated and celebrating that you passed over and you saved our life because, because we're in covenant relationship with you. That's what the Passover was all initiated for and was all about. So they had the Passover meal. And then they get up from that and they say, it's time. And they're ready. They get all their warriors set up in place. We're going to go fight. They've been waiting for this moment. They all painted up. They got all their weapons. Can you imagine they're sitting there with their platoon? and says, listen, guys, our order's about to come. How are we going to do this? It's a big wall. But I know, I know, Bill, you climb pretty good. Wait, i got to change. It's not wrong names. Jehoshaphat, you got that thing with that ladder thing going. We're going to catapult you, Ephraim. We're just going to shut. We're going to sling you over, bro. You light enough. And, uh, and so they start coming up. And they're making their plans. And we're waiting on the orders. And all of a sudden, the orders come in. And he's like, oh, snap. You're not going to believe this. So let me read you the orders of how they're going to go to battle against Jericho. I don't know if it's one of the greatest military orders that have been passed down, but it sure is pretty cool. In verse 1 of chapter 6 of Joshua, it says, Now Josh, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the, here's the orders. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. 
have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on, uh, on the trumpets, have the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So can you imagine being the platoon leader? So, all right, let me get those orders. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Are you sure this is right? All right, guys, listen. All right, this is, okay, here's what we're going to do. All right, so all y'all going to line up. Everybody got your weapons? Yes, sir, we're ready. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the worship dudes out in their skinny jeans, and we're going to put them out there, and, they gonna, they gonna, and, then, and then the dudes carrying the presence of God, and they're going to be blowing the little trumpets, little thingy. They're going to have the little saxophones, Kenny G style. And then, uh, so, I, so half of y'all going to go in front of them, and the other half going to go behind them. All right, then what happens? Well, we're going to walk around it, the whole place, one good time. All right, then what? Well, then we're just going to come back home, and we're just going to watch TV or something. What? So when do we shoot arrows and, and, and set the place on fire? Yeah, look, uh, I, this, this is what we're going to do. How many days are we going to do that? Seven of them. What? Can you imagine that text message? <laughs> You're not going to believe our orders. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting that, getting that Skype video from your son overseas? Yeah, mama, we're just walking around Al-Qaeda. We're just circling them. Nobody shot anything or anything. We just, you know. And we're not allowed to talk. It's kind of creepy, you know. It's kind of creepy. We just follow these dudes with trumpets. It's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. And so they do that. So can you imagine? Day one. Those dudes get out there, and they're playing the trumpets the whole time. And they're just walking around it. <laughs> All the dudes, they're walking. Can't say nothing. They walk around it. Can you? Now, all right, if it was awkward enough for the soldiers, imagine what the dudes on top of the wall are saying. You just, come on, you got friends like that, right? <laughs> like, what the blank are you doing? <laughs> Y'all scared? Ah! They throwing poop down on them and stuff like that. I mean, they're making fun of them. They're, literally, that's what they would do in Bible times. They throw excrements down on them and that kind of stuff just to demoralize them. And they just walking, they just walking around, you know. Walking around this thing, do you? <laughs> they're not allowed to say anything. Mm. They've been walking for six days, man. Walking around that place. That is, can I just say this to a military, military personnel? That is the stupidest orders they've ever received in their life. Makes absolutely no sense. There is nothing powerful, militant about that. We fall in the doggone box. And we got the little, we got, we got the little you know, Kenny G dudes out there in front of us. Playing the little instruments, and we got to follow behind them or the other guys. We had to walk in front of them, you know, so they didn't get killed, you know, or protecting them. It's like we're on, you know, duty for protecting the little worship guys, you know. And so they do that till the seventh day. And the seventh day, they're going to do it seven times. Seven times. They walk that day. Seven times. You with the beard, you going down. You're the first one I'm going to stab. And they do that seven times. 
They get around the seventh time, and the instructions are, and then they're going to change their tune and hold out the note. And when they do, all of y'all shout at the wall. Ah! I mean, like, what's that do? Okay, whatever, yes, sir. Because we done seen the Jordan open up, so we, 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 we passed. Like, can we do this in our own strength thing? We're beyond that thing. And so they do it. Come around the seventh time. Y'all waiting for me to pass out, aren't you? Just saying. Well, we lost the pass here today. He was showing out. And as soon as they hold that note, all of these military guys go, and God goes, okay. And God takes the walls, and he goes, he did, I mean, just like that. In fact, in fact, they have proven that those walls did not fall inward. In other words, they didn't attack and push against it. Something from the inside blew them outward. And as those walls came tumbling down outward, they looked around and went, yeah! And they ran across those rubble, and they began to destroy every one of those enemies to possess their land. Friend, I want you to understand something. This story is a great kid story, but friend, it's not a kid story. It's for you and me for today. The walls that have camped around our promised land and the enemy that stood there looking at us laughing at us saying you haven't been able to defeat me yet we're too strong I've been in here since you was a kid you've been like this since you was just a little junior hockey I ain't going nowhere and God says to you if you'll do it my way I will take those walls down if you'll do it my way I will break it from the out inside out to where everybody goes I don't know how that happened I have no idea and so friend I want to give you four keys today to you and I going ahead and taking out the enemy so that we can possess our promised land as we see what these guys did here. I think it's right out of Scripture. I think it'll help you. Number one, you ready? Say yes. yes. Number one, you have to be willing to fight. That's your starting point. you got to be willing to fight. Some of you have laid down and rolled over and let the enemy just live there. You say, well, that's just how it's going to be. I just, have, I just have an anger issue. Just how it's going to be. Y'all just, just know. Just stay away from me when I lose my mind. Mm, no. No, sir. That, that encampment cannot stay there any longer. You have to be willing to fight. You've got to say, you know what, I'm not going to live like this anymore. At some point, you've got to get frustrated of walking in the wilderness 40 years. At some point, you've got to get tired of this is just my lot in life. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to just be, I just got to, just how my life is. Everybody's going to hate me. I just don't, I can't keep a marriage together. At some point, you've got to get tired of walking in circles and say, enough is enough. I have, God has promised me peace. He's promised me joy. He's promised me a life of health and vitality. He's promised me that. And I'm going to go into my promised land. And I know that there are going to be some things I've got to fight. And you just need to embrace. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. There are still some strongholds that you and I have to fight. God will go before us. That's the difference between when I was not saved and when I'm saved. God goes in front of me. He fights the battle, but I've got to be willing to take up arms, and I've got to be willing to go with him and do what he says to do. But most people I find in Christian these days like, oh, well, the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. And the Lord's saying, I'm waiting on you to do something. I'm waiting on you to cross the Jordan. I'm waiting for you to stand up and get frustrated and say, enough is enough. And when you and I come to that place, enough is enough, that's when breakthrough happens. That's the starting point for breakthrough. Some of you just let the enemy push you around. Those old things in your life, they just keep saying, well, that's just who I am. No, it's not. That's not who God made you to be. He didn't make, make you to be mean and ornery and grumpy and just a jerk your whole life. Is that how you're going you to be that old person that none of us like? Like, oh, don't talk to her. 
don't talk to her, especially if her teeth get to falling out. I mean, you're just going to be all kinds of messy. We're not going to be that. We're going to be sweet and kind and gentle and look just like Jesus, act like Jesus, heal the sick, raise it. We're going to do just what Jesus did. But there's some enemies still yet, yet that we've got to pull the walls down, all right? So number one, you've got to be willing to fight. Number two, you need to do some reconnaissance on your enemy. I thought that was so significant that they sent the spies in to check on what the enemy. Listen, can I just say something? Stop, stop, stop fighting ignorantly. Go, through, go do a marriage conference. Go do a marriage seminar. Go get some counseling. Go get some understanding about what you're dealing with. Go, go, go get some help around. Go do some reconnaissance of what you're really fighting. Some of you just, you just, you don't even know who you're fighting. You don't know what their strength is. You don't know, you don't know what's going on. Go do some reconnaissance. Go find out how you can be better successful, how you can be more successful in this situation. Go do some, go figure it out. Go, go do some research. You know, I, we're making some big decisions right now for the church, and I, had, I have full authority to make some of these decisions, but you know what? I'm not going to do it by myself. I don't know what I don't know. So I called on some consultants and had them come and meet with me and point out to me, this is what you're going to be dealing I didn't know my enemy that well. I didn't know what I was going to be battling. So I pulled some people in. I pulled more people in. So what do y'all see? What do you know? Tell me what you're hearing. Tell me what you're seeing. We sent you out over there. You've already been over there. You've seen behind the wall what they got back there. What, 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 what's going to happen there? Listen, I, listen, some of you single people, you need to go ask some of these married people, so how do you stay married? Do some reconnaissance. So how, do you stay, how did you do this? Yeah, and listen, can I just say, anybody who's been married more than uh, 25 years, raise your hand right now. Come on, anybody. 20. Now, all you young guys who are single, you need to take, come on now. All you young, young men, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. I want every one of you to go find them after service, take them out to eat, pay for it. Come on, young couples. Pay for it and ask them, how did you do it? How are you doing it? All right, and let them tell you how to do it right there, all right? Go do some reconnaissance. Find out what your enemy is all about and what he has strength in and what he doesn't have strength in. And in the midst of that, guess what you're going to find out? That enemy's scared of you. The enemy's scared of you becoming the man or woman of God you're supposed to be. Here's a third thing that we see that they did, and that is you need to make a fresh dedication to the Lord. They said, you know what? No more of this. We're going to get circumcised. We're going to celebrate the Passover. We're going to make a fresh dedication to the Lord. I make a fresh dedication to the Lord every morning when I wake up. Because you know what? I mess things up every day. And so every day I come back and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I make a fresh Lord, my life's not my life. It's your, whatever you want to use me in. Lord, if you need, wherever you need me to, Lord, I freshly dedicate myself to you, Lord God. I, this, ain't, this ain't my life. It's yours. I love you. I need you. I need you more than I've ever needed you. Can I tell you something? As long as they thought they could do it in their own strength, they walked around in the wilderness. The moment they came to the place, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. The moment they sat down and circumcised, that's a place of vulnerability. Circumcise yourself. Circumcise your heart and say, Lord, whatever you see in me, whatever is not right with you, Lord, I make a fresh dedication. I give you free reign to work that out of my life. Be careful when you pray that prayer. Be careful when you start asking those who live with you, hey, look, if you see anything that's not like Jesus, just point it out to you. I just want to be right with the Lord. That's what a fresh dedication looks like. But in that, then God says, yeah, <laughs> now I can lead them instead of them trying to lead me. Instead of them trying to carry me into where they want to go, they're now letting me carry them to where I want them to go. There's the difference. The last piece I would teach you is this, and that is you got to do it his way. you got to do it his way. You know what the Bible says about your enemies? To pray for them. You know that guy at work who's trying to make your life miserable? God didn't say, his way is not to do what everybody else's way is, and that is build a case against him and go present it to your supervisor. According to him, pray for those who despitefully use you. And You know what else it says? When your brother sins against you, go to him privately, Matthew 18. 
Go to him privately and pull him aside. Not start a, a social media campaign against him. See, see, his way is different. I know it makes no sense. I know. That's, like, that's crazy. We're going to walk. I'm going to do what? Do you know what he's done? Do you know what she is? Do you know what has happened between us and this situation? Do you know? I, give money to the, give my tithe to the Lord and, 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 and his representation is the church in that? Give 10%? That don't make no sense. I need that money. I need, can I tell you something? I had the same concept with that. I couldn't believe it. And listen, y'all got all the money. Y'all got better cars than I got. Well, I need to give to the church. And then when I started studying his word, this is what me giving, wasn't me giving to the church. He just used the church as his hand. What, it, this was me giving to him and trusting him. Made no sense the moment I started doing it. Supernatural. So it don't make any sense. God has blessed Jamie and I. We have more than enough. We're able to give to others more than enough. We have zero debt. I mean, it's unbelievable how God has sustained us on little bitty paychecks, little bit of income. God's just done it. He's just supernatural things. People giving us vacations. People just, I mean, just God makes a way. Why? Because it makes no sense to march around a wall seven days straight and then yell at it. Makes no sense. Why? Because it's his way, not our way. What's he teaching us? To trust him. And friend, I'm telling you something. If you don't learn to trust him, you're going to walk in that wilderness for 40 years until he works it out of you. Learn to do what he said to do. Stop trying to do what you know what what you're uh what you know what you learned at university on how to how to you know make it all work. I, I, those are good teachings. I'm sure they're great. But at the end of the day, do what he says to do. So when he says to give without expecting something in return, give without. And he says, and when and when your enemy says, you know, hey, g- give me your coat, and he says, give him your shirt too. Like that don't make any sense. But when you do that, he does something. He begins to lead the situation, and walls begin to fall down. Are you with me today? Say yes. You recognize you got enemies still left in your life? Say yes. You realize there's a promised land waiting for you to possess? Say yes. You may be living in it, but you may still have enemies that are pushing you all around. And like me at that school, I had to take them down and let them know, no, 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 I'm leading this thing, not you. And there ain't going to be no bullying here with me. We could have coincided, but now you done made me mad. Friend, you need to stop coinciding with the enemy and run him out. Amen? Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been gracious to me today. Thanks for letting me speak truth to you. Pray that you've been empowered. Know what to do from this point forward. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment. And as you bow your head and close your eyes, I want you to take this teaching and I want you to identify what is your Jericho. What's your Jericho right now? Come on, close your eyes with me. So I do that so you can have a a moment where you can concentrate and can can sense the Lord and what the Lord's doing. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, what's your Jericho? What has rooted itself in your life? And is a stronghold. And it's daunting and laughing at you. That even if you tried with your own strength, you wouldn't be able to take it down. Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it financial ruin? Keeps laughing at you? You keep taking four steps forward and six steps back? Do you live on a curse? Seems like every relationship falls apart. And I tell you something, there's an enemy that hates you. And yes, you may have made a decision for Jesus. And yes, his Holy Spirit lives and abides in you. But friend, you and I are going to have to rise up and fight a little bit so that we can possess what he promised. 600 years, 600 years because of their rebellious heart, they could not go into their promised land. Then once they got there, it wasn't just roll out the red carpet. They had to fight for it and keep fighting for it. To not just take it over, but to also control it. So maybe you've been saved for many years. You say, Pastor, I've loved the Lord. I've conquered this thing two or three times. Yeah, but the thing I know about an enemy is he always wants his land back. He always thinks it's his, even though it wasn't. 
you're going to have to keep fighting. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to identify what's that big Jericho in your life? What do you need to knock down? What do you need God to do something supernatural? And then ask yourself, have I been following his ways or have I been trying to do it in my own strength? There's a person in this room, you have a, you have a, uh, you and your spouse divorced. You've got teenage kids that don't want to see you anymore. I hear this real clearly from the Lord. And it's been breaking your heart. You've gotten yourself right with the Lord. And you think that they'll never want to love you again or they never want to see you. God says he's going to restore that if you'll do it his way. And stop trying to fight your ex. Stop trying to do all that. The Lord, the Lord said he's going to turn their hearts towards you. And you're going, to have one of the, you're going to have just a great relationship with your children. Thank you, Father. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to take a moment. And I want you to just say to the Lord, I need your help. Lord, I'm willing. So come on, would you just circumcise your heart for a little bit? Would you just re- make a fresh dedication? Lord, I can't conquer this thing in my own strength. Lord, I'm tired of walking around in circles. You tell me what to do, Lord, and I'll do it. Come on, would you just make that prayer under your breath right where you're at? Lord, you show me. Maybe you've got, somebody's got a coworker that's just been driving them insane and it's made you not even want to go to work anymore. The Lord says if you'll just, if you'll just do what he's telling you to do through this message, if you'll just circumcise your heart, if you'll just cut your heart, cut your heart back, all the hardness of your heart, say, Lord, do what, tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do for this, towards this situation. He may tell you to repent to them. He may tell you to bless them. The scriptures are very clear what to do with those who are our enemies and those who do us wrong and dirty. You need to go research that. Find it out. Spy out what the word says about it. Now, Father, I thank you for your church, these amazing sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, I pray right now that you would, you would respond to their heart, to their desire to, to possess their promised land, to not live in frustration and anger, to not live in poverty and, 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 and agitation, Lord God, to be at peace with all men as your scripture teaches us. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that we can learn something from this, from this situation that had been thousands of years ago. Lord, I never even met Joshua. I don't know what the man looked like. I don't know how tall he was. I just know this, Lord God, that you put him in your holy scriptures to remind me that there's a way to do things, and it's your way. And Lord, right now, as the pastor, the leader of this congregation, we as all the congregants, Lord God, we submit ourselves to you afresh. And we just say, Lord God, lead us. We'll go where you want us to go. Even if it doesn't make sense, we'll do what you want us to do. Lord, we'll march around the enemy. We'll do whatever you want us to do, Lord God. Because, Lord God, we can't live like this anymore. We can't have the enemy possessing our land any longer. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if today you're not a Christian, you say, Pastor, i got to be honest. If I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, that's terrible. Don't, don't leave like that. You say, well, what do I have to do? Well, the Bible's real clear about it. He did it all. He paid it all for you. You don't have, you don't have to die on a cross. He did. And, he, and that blood can cover you. When God looks at you, he won't see your sin anymore. But the Bible is real clear about what your response should be. It says this. It says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will literally write your name in his book of life. You will then, That blood then will be extended to you. The payment for your sin will, will be extended to you. You can receive that. You can be his sons and his daughters. And then he'll teach you how to serve him. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if if this is you, you're away from God, I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to humiliate you or embarrass you. But you you do need to have enough gumption to admit, yeah, I need God in my life. And no one's looking, just me, you, and heaven. But if today you're ready to give your life to Jesus, you're ready to serve him, 
and you're ready to make him the Lord of your life, I want to pray with you. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right now and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you, sir. Anybody? Yes, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Pray for me. Thank you. I see your hand. You put it down. No one's looking. It's just you and me. Just take a couple seconds. Come on, quickly. If that's you, yeah, I see your hand. Thank you for your honesty. Pray for me, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. For, thank you for being real. I love real people, man. Thank you for being honest. I remember when I threw my hand up. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Changed me forever. A couple more seconds. Anybody else, Pastor? Pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. Amen. I saw you. Put your hands down. Amen. All hands are down now. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just a prayer of confession, saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, if you don't mind, I'm going to get the whole congregation to pray this out loud along with you. But those who lifted their hand, mean it with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner and I need you. I need your help. And I ask you now, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Here and now, in front of everybody, I declare, Jesus is my Lord. Say it again, Jesus is my Lord. And I'll serve you all of my days. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. I pray right now, the peace of God. Just overtake them that they can say, oh, wow, this is real. I feel God. Lord, I pray right now that... That, that thought that, oh, you don't mean it. It's not, you know, if it can't be real. Lord, I just pray that would just be shut up in their brain. And now they can hear your love. They can hear you saying, I'm proud of you. I love you. I've been waiting for this moment for so many months, so many years. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that they would feel your love like a blanket, a warm blanket on a cold day, wrapping around them. And that, Lord God, they, they're not going to be perfect, but they're going to learn. They're going to grow. They've got a lot of kings still left to battle, a lot of little Jerichos to fight. But, Lord God, you're going to go before them. And they're not going to fight it alone. In fact, they're just going to follow you. And you're going to destroy walls supernaturally and bring miracles in their life in Jesus' name. Now, as a congregation, would you just reach that person over next to you and just grab their hand? And I want to close out the prayer. And I want to pray that we would be a church that doesn't, let the, that doesn't let those little kings stay in our promised land. That we run them out. That you and I would support one another as we fight through the enemies, the enemies of our lives. And I just want you to agree with that person next. You just, just say a little prayer over them while I pray over you as a congregation. That they would have power and strength to follow Jesus. And that the Lord would do miracles in their life. Father, I thank you right now in Jesus' name. There will be no Jerichos left to dominate. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that the men and women of this church, Lord God, will be victorious. That, Lord God, they'll fight the enemy. They'll fight that old pride. And when it raises its ugly head, they'll fight it again. But, Lord God, that you'll go before us. That we'll follow you. We'll do what your word says. Lord God, it may not make sense to us. We may be circling a wall with our weapons strapped to our side. And all we're doing is singing and being quiet. But, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that with you, miracles happen. With you, there is no enemy that can stand against us. With you, Lord God, that every wall must fall. And that we, Lord God, as your sons and daughters, will not just inherit our promised land at salvation, but will live in it all our days. And there will not be enemies that destroy us or, or, or dominate us. But, Lord God, there will be peace, 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 and joy in the whole process. And, Lord, as we learn from Joshua and this whole Jericho story, that, Lord God, you can do miracles if we'll do it your way. We give you praise and glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name. And everybody shout it. Amen and amen. Come on, say amen.